Hi, everybody. This is Nick from the St. Paul Filmcast. I want to talk to you about a book that's available to pre-order. It's from a previous guest of the show and a good friend of the show, Dennis Vogan. Dennis is an acclaimed writer for many years, releasing novelas like Thea, Flipped, and Them, and creating comic books like uh, The Brush Fire and my personal fave, The Weirdos. Here he collects blogs, posts, essays, loose change from nearly half a decade. They cover spectrum of topics from comic books to sobriety from outer space to his dog pop culture spirituality nostalgia the multiverse and from joy to grief and everything in between you'll find that dennis vogan is a lot of things and for better or for worse and he has a lot to say check out the book it's called time is a solid state time is a solid state available on amazon or on his website dennisvogan.com check it out today Okay, we're here with Madeline. She knows it's dedication time. So, Madeline, what would you like to dedicate the episode to? I'll dedicate it to my mom. Um, She's kind of been not really my manager, but kind of like helped me get the connections that I have right now, which is really cool. She's the arrow. Do this way, this way, right? The arrow. Yeah. So, and she supports everything I do, so. Moms! Let's go with moms. I like that. Okay, we're back with Madeline Peterson. How you doing, Madeline? Good. Now, this is the first time podcasting. Yes. So we're kind of a little bit nervous. A little bit, yeah. yeah. But it's something I think writers should do to be comfortable explaining stuff, right? Yeah. And that's the nature of probably writing is you have to vocalize as well. Mm. And especially. pitching, too. And pitching, right. So. so you've already done a lot of writing, not just for college, but for pretty much ever since you were born or what? Yeah, I mean, I remember like in third grade, I took, we had like a writer's workshop every Thursday. Yeah. And I, that was like my favorite time ever. I was like, write my own stories. I look back and they're interesting and my drawings were subpar, but it's okay. When I was a kid your age in third grade, my writings were a catalyst to illustrate. So I would write stories just so I could illustrate them. That's, writing wasn't really all that fantastic, but it was just a vessel mm-hmm. to do the illustrations of books. That's cool. And then eventually I got comfortable doing the comic books because, you know, I did writer's workshops before too. Mm-hmm. So writing and you finish up college. Mm-hmm. Back in May of 2020. Well, good luck doing that during the, the worst year ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Are you doing writing now? Um, since I've graduated, I've written like three full-length film scripts. Full features. Mm-hmm. So that's probably like 120. I think people don't really know that's like, well, it's like 220 or 180. Some of them are like shorter because they have more action. There so you like, go. Yeah. Yeah. So um, one of mine is like 68 pages. One is like 78. And then the other one is like... 
95 or something. So Well, it is kind of deceiving, right? Because Tarantino's scripts are sometimes rare to pages. That's because he just he's dialogue heavy, mm-hmm. but he's so articulate with the details. And he's probably going to be directing the movie. So he, yeah. you, you write in your own notes. But somebody who just wants to sell their script, you don't want to get too detail heavy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've looked it up a lot and they like shorter scripts. A lot of like producers, directors like shorter scripts because they don't have to read so much because they don't want to read everything. They can't. They don't have time. So, Right. And usually it's the first three pages. You have to get interesting to mm-hmm. the first three pages. Because or the log line. Or the log lines. There's something I have to work on. I am yeah. horrible at doing log lines. I have to get practicing that. Are you comfortable doing them? I'm okay. I um, definitely can get better. I've gotten some feedback on some of my log lines and I've been able to change them. So I've tried to do them because my previous guest, Matt Bailey, he's another actor and he's working on a script and he's the one that emphasized get comfortable doing log lines. Mm-hmm. I was like, really? That's just it. And he's like, no, don't regard it as an empty exercise. You have to get if you want to be a writer, you're going to have to get comfortable doing them. Mm-hmm. So, oh, if you want to you want to explain somebody, what are log lines? Log lines are like a one to two sentence summary of a script so like you want it to be interesting but you can't use too much detail so but you gotta let's like the hook yeah so and that's a lot of you do in writer's workshop is you try to get with let let, a lot less detail make it appealing and interesting Mm -hmm. yeah do you have a particular writer that you like Um, or a collection of writers Hmm. Well, when I was younger, I would read like dystopian future books. So like right, Suzanne yeah. Collins, like Hunger Games and like James Dashner for like Maze Runner and stuff. So, but I don't really have like a writer now that I'm like, look at everything. Right. Yeah. For, so I think sometimes that gets kind of deceiving because people get attached to a specific writer. Mm-hmm. Then you try to read some other material. You don't as it's it's a little bit of a catch-22 because then you're so acclimated to that writer. You like everything about him. Mm-hmm. But then you read something of somebody else's a him or her, and then you're like, well, it's not the same. It's You suddenly use that favorite person as a barometer of what's good, mm-hmm. and that can be kind of deceiving. I have to admit, I have to really force myself to start ri- reading female writers more. Mm-hmm. I have to get started. I have to force myself. It's not... And I think you have to do it. You have to force yourself to read something that's not particular of what your interests are. Yeah. Because you have, you're have a writer. You have to know all the different spectrums, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what have you been reading? Um, I read a book. I forget. A.G. Riddle, I think, was the author. And it's called Pandemic. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but I got the book like four years ago and I hadn't read it or read it. Read it. Um, and I read it like in a span of maybe a couple weeks <laughs> and it's like 600 pages. It's really good. It's like a man-made pandemic around the world. It starts in like somewhere in Africa. Yeah. I forget the name Kenya it, or something. It's called pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it's a trilogy. I haven't like read the second one, but. Right, really yeah, good. yeah. I know. I have I have like a core of authors that always read their stuff, but uh, it's H.R. Riddle. A.G. Riddle. A.G. Riddle. 
Yeah. And it's called Pandemic. Yeah. It's, is it, I understood it like when I first read it, I read like the first hundred pages maybe four years ago. And I didn't really understand all like the things that were happening and um, the lingo, like the medical lingo. But being in an actual pandemic now, I actually <laughs> understand it, which made it even better. So it's like when I was in college, I read Infinite Jest and I was like, man, I know a lot more about tennis than I do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like a tennis school, but it's it's a, a metaphor. A lot of other things over the current events. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So I think my generation, I think Infinite Jest is supposed to be the book for our generation, Generation Xers. Mm. So, yeah. So you've always been a reader? Yes. Really? Yeah. I yeah. When I was like really young maybe elementary school I would I was obsessed with Geronimo Stilton books now you gotta tell me I, I apologize for listeners I don't know what either what that is it's like a mouse that lives in New York or New Mouse City I remember it's New Mouse City <laughs> yeah I love it and he was like a journalist and he'd go on these adventures and there's like so many books really like 50 or something but I loved them when I was in elementary school and then I r- wrote the author but he never wrote me back. <laughs> well, Still you, salty. No, I'm joking. <laughs> probably had to do an email then, right? Yeah. Yeah. When I was a kid, it was a big time. Uh, Terry Pratchett, because he's got like thousands of books. Terry Pratchett and Discworld and all. I remember what, reading Discworld, which is an entire world on a turtle's back. Oh, cool. <laughs> it's flat. It's a flat world, but it's t- it's riding on a turtle's back. Just, mm-hmm. If you're ever fascinated about Terry Pratchett, Discworld. And there's, he's written of hundreds and hundreds. It's kind of the... Like, well, it's not really for kids, but it's not really for adults. It's kind of like that little group in between because kids can appreciate it. Adults can appreciate it as well. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. So you took in, you're done with the writing and you took film theory. So you kind of want to navigate to script writing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you've already written a couple scripts. Mm-hmm. If you do you, how do you, what's your process? Do you do outlines? Um, I kind of come up with an idea and then do my own like small little outline like trying to come up with the whole movie and like a couple acts just writing it to yeah. s- just random little notes that I want to remember when I actually start writing the script <laughs> so I sh- should get into like writing treatments and beats and stuff but I haven't that's n- at least not my process right so. I, but I I'm guilty too because I I don't like to do outlines. I like to figure out where the story's going to go. Mm-hmm. Even though we had Peter Groin on, and he, you know, it's a necessity tool. You really use outlines as as a tool, even though it's kind of hard. I like to just gravitate to the oh the process, and then you get excited about oh we're going to go here 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you have always have an ending in mind, or you like to like I say figure it out as the story's going to tell you? Um, I think towards the beginning, I usually have some sort of ending in mind, but then I f- like write the script and then, oh, I want to change that scene. So I like, or I want to add something or I don't really like the ending. Let's do this type of thing. So I don't mm-hmm. mind revision. Yeah. Because, well, well, it's another thing is you always bring your script to an editor, but when you're, even when you're doing the process, you are editing, right? Mm-hmm. How much dialogue or, you know. Yeah. Well, how do you know when it ends scenes end when you're right? That's always a good question. How do you know it's that scene's gonna how do you end a scene? Um I don't know. Sometimes I do like in I did uh, I wrote a thriller, like a um set in eighteen ninety three thriller. So but I have that copyrighted, so I can talk about it. 
<laughs> you already got a copyright? <laughs> yeah. All right, superstar. Good idea. Um, so it is like I end it either when like they're sleeping or they accidentally get gassed and pass out and um, or she gets knocked out by like something. I don't know. So at least that one, that's kind of when I like ended scenes or when they went to like a new location, mm-hmm. you know, so. All right. When you were in college, did you read scripts? Mm-hmm. Like, a, like you, you know, read a script of Rocky or something like that? or did you We just... read Chinatown. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> right. <laughs> I've never seen that movie, but I've heard it's like the best script ever written. It's annoyingly symmetrical. Yeah. It's annoyingly symmetrical. So everything is so balanced in the movie so when at the end when everything gets unbalanced Mm -hmm. then it's like yeah that's what that's what i think scripts it's not always in the scripts you have to think about how the movie is going to get made too Mm -hmm. so you can't write in your script well make this absolutely balanced and symmetrical so at the end it's kind of like discombobulated Mm -hmm. but right yeah it's a lot of you have to read what's in the script rather than what's on the script sometimes that people say Mm -hmm. do you practice just writing little pages? Um, no, I feel like I I have like a ton of ideas. And so I usually like write a script. And then when I think I'm done with it for like that length of time. And I've been working on it for like months and months. And then I like start on a new one. So at least that's what I've been doing. Right. I think that's the right thing to do because you don't want to just sit and marinate on something finished. You want to keep going. Mm-hmm. And so you get trapped because somebody's going to approach you like, oh, you're a writer. What have you written? And I go, well, I have a major sample that you could pluck from mm-hmm. rather than just trying to hard and drill to one or two stories. Yeah. You want to have a collection of stuff to to bring that, to bring to the table. Mm-hmm. And I've written in like all different genres too, which is really, really? cool. Yeah. Do you have a particular favorite genre? Other than bringing up dystopian sci-fis, but... Yeah, I mean, I like those. I like um, realistic fiction. So, like, set in a different time or, like, biopics. Yeah. I really like those. Yeah. Biopics are... I'm trying to think of a good biopic, but, well, I would say, like, Will Smith playing Ali. Mm -hmm. That was a good biopic movie, right? Or 42, so Chadwick Boseman playing Jackie Robinson. Yes. I like that one, so... So well, it's first with you, it's writing. Mm-hmm. Are you comfortable doing dialogue? I think so. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely what my thing was, at least the last one I wrote with my friend, Morgan Lemon is. So shout out to Morgan. <laughs> um, <laughs> you should be like the writing office, like Eminem or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, we wrote... Um, we were in college together and we were in yeah. my film, th- our film theory class. And so we would write our dialogue so they could analyze it. Like we would write our dialogue so they would have something to analyze if they ever like oh. watched our movie. So that was fun to do. Oh, all right. Yeah. yeah. I think I know I want to share my usually when I write dialogue for my stories. And then I go hang out with people. I have a tough time with conversation because I so much want to fix the, the dialogue with them. <laughs> like, no, ask me this, this, how this will be much more smooth if you do it this way. Wow. <laughs> so sometimes it comes into real world, whereas because uh, I've been writing so much dialogue and dialogue and then people are like, 
how you doing? No, you don't do that. What you want to do is. <laughs> <laughs> so have you ever had that kind of a problem? I have not. <laughs> <laughs> Just be aware, self-aware that when you have a regular conversation with people, like, no, maybe we should try do it this way. <laughs> are you a day writer or do you write at night or can you write on a park bench or? I am a morning writer. Are you really? Well, late morning. Okay. I would say like 10 to noon around there or like nine to noon. When you get your bearings. and yeah. then you're, you're... After I eat breakfast, I do all that. So my, um, I do my YouTube channel with Kyle Gothi and he's a writer too when he film reviews, but he's also during the day mm-hmm. and I, I'm, Many, the listeners will know I, I don't start writing till like 10 o'clock at night. Oh. So I don't write till everything's quiet and it's dark. That's probably why my story's a little quiet and dark. <laughs> yeah. But I think if I would do like um, like a rom comedy or something like that, I would probably write it during the day. Mm-hmm. I think the t- certain point of time when you write would reflect in your writing. Don't you think? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like I have written like the same time, really, like most times. So I can't tell you if it's changed my dialogue. Do you have a little sanctuary, or like, can you go to a coffee shop, or do you I usually to- just like um, in my living room on the couch, <laughs> sit down with my computer. You have far more superpowers than I do because I need to like <laughs> shut the door and shut the world off and close the curtains and almost have it completely dark, and I can write. Sometimes, though, like when I'm writing by myself and not with somebody, I have to like ask questions. Like sometimes I have word farts. So I like I forget a word, but I want like a certain word. And then so I ask like the person around me what, you know, what is the same or the same of. Yeah. yeah. What's another word I can use other than gratuitous? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So, or like um, I'm writing a script now set in Duluth, Minnesota. You know, really? So, mm-hmm. so. I did a little bit of featuring of Duluth in my graphic novel. Mm. So if you didn't know, my, my story is a pulp noir that takes place in St. Paul, 1968. Ooh. So that's the other thing I spent a year researching because mm. I wasn't alive in 1968. So I want to kind of have like, what's the feel, what's the look mm-hmm. of 1968 St. Paul? And then you got to research the dates because it was a specific time like late February, so you want to know what the temperature was, you want to know, you know, the environments and stuff like that, so. Yeah. um, Did you do any research for your 1893 one? So much research. Right, yeah. Because it's set in Chicago. It's it's basically about um, this brother and sister that go to the Chicago World's Fair in 1893, and then they go to H.H. Holmes Murder Hotel. Oh, we all know. Yeah, you want to explain that because that's very famous. Yeah. Story. So there isn't really a lot of. There's a documentary on it, but there mm-hmm. isn't like a feature film about H. H. Holmes. So and he's like the first serial killer in the United States. So I focus um, on like them going to the fair. Their parents have died, and they go to his hotel because at this time, women weren't really allowed in hotels. By themselves. Or like. Or at all. Yeah. yeah. So she had to sign a waiver or like they both had to sign a waiver like insurance purposes because he would actually do that. Like you'd have to sign insurance before like checking in. So 
if they died, it didn't matter, or if he got their money, you know, like life insurance stuff. So mm-hmm. he was a big scammer. And then his hotel was like tons of booby traps. It was like a death trap. Yeah. Death, a death trap maze, which had doors that didn't lead anywhere. Mm-hmm. Like a small maze area, like um, S- or like elevator shafts. Yeah. That are like in furnaces and gas chambers. It was like. Yeah. Then he have like, didn't he hire a crew to build it too? Mm-hmm. And they needed some of it himself. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think if I remember right, when people caught on, he just fled. Yeah. And. I, there was a newspaper article. He got literally interviewed, and he said, like, the police asked, what are these bones doing at the hotel? And he goes, bones are everywhere in the world. You can't say that I did that. <laughs> like, and he didn't get caught because he said that, like, how insane is that? Right. So. I think he went to, well, he, I think eventually he got caught. Yeah. Well, uh, like a trial he killed his he, partner. Yeah, his partner. Yeah. And then I think he kidnapped the children. Yeah, something like that. And But he only got, like, in because he killed his partner. He killed, like, over, like, 200 people. Yeah. But he only got caught for those people. But he confessed to all those once he was finally in it's jail. Fan- I think, yeah, he, there was something wrong because he didn't have a clarity explanation for why he did things. Yeah. So he's like the devil's in me. That's what he said. That was his explanation. Right. Is that right? Right. When you couldn't explain anything, you just say, yeah, that, that's right. Yeah. 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 So. so are you kind of a true crime girl? I like true crime. <laughs> yeah. I like Criminal Minds. I love that show. There you go. I love that. When I think when I was I was working at a factory when that first started. I remember watching the first episode and I was like, yep, that's my favorite show from now on. Yeah. I'm not a big TV guy, TV shows. I like movies. Mm-hmm. When I watched that first episode, I was like, yep. Yeah, and it yeah. gets even better. Yeah. Every episode is different. I love it. So. I think Spencer Reach a host Jeopardy. Oh yeah, <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> I'm a, my dream Jeopardy show episode would be if you had um, Mr. Spock, mm-hmm. um, Sheldon Cooper, mm-hmm. and Spencer Reed all compete for Jeopardy. Wow, <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> that would be good. <laughs> It's one of the things you think about when you're about ready to go to bed. Like, what if those three guys were on Jeopardy? Who would win? Yeah. <laughs> and who would have the meltdown first? I feel like Sheldon would. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> so, right, oh, true crimes and stuff like that. So mm. I, think it, I, think, I think more women like that than men. I think so. Yeah. Well, life is a little more horrific if you're a girl than a guy. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, you got to be a little more careful than your environment than anything else. Yeah, always aware of your surroundings. Right, yes, right, (laughs) absolutely. Mm -hmm. So would you like to continue with like the writing the true crime things or you like to just go everywhere? I like writing in every genre and but I do like true true crime. And so if I could find like, I don't know something else even if it could be just like fictional too or like a real person that nobody knows about that'd yeah. be cool yeah to write about so yeah well it's too bad you weren't alive when unsolved mysteries was out when i was a kid i don't know what that is you would love it you would love it unsolved mysteries was before you were before your time mm-hmm. that was, was that the, a tv show the tv show right they would show like true crime events and they reenact them oh and then if you if you knew information about it you would call into the show but it wasn't just true crime. It was like UFO sightings and stuff like that. And oh, 
that's cool. It was cool. It was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to take a little break, and we'll back more about writing and films with Madeline. And our first promo will be from Madeline talking about First Frame Film Festival. Hi, I'm Madeline Peterson, and if you're a filmmaker or screenwriter, I have a festival that you should definitely submit to. It's called First Frame International Film Festival. The festival is in its inaugural year, and their mission is to create the bridge to opportunity from your first frame. This industry is about who you know, and because of that, a good amount of talented filmmakers and screenwriters go undiscovered. We want to share our resources and connections to undiscovered talent so that they have a chance to be seen and succeed. We are on Film Freeway and Festome. You can submit those projects there. And you can follow us on Facebook at First Frame IFF. And if you want a promo code, my email is madelinefirstframe at gmail.com. Once again, the festival is First Frame International Film Festival. And if you want a promo code, my email is madelinefirstframe at gmail.com. Thank you. He's the critic. He's the comic. And that's the gimmick. It's the Dare Daniel podcast, where film critic Daniel Barnes and comedian Cork McDonald do your dirty work by watching the worst movies imaginable. Know of a movie so bad you have to share it? A film with a bad rap you've always been curious about? An underrated bit of cinema you'd love to hear discussed? Or are you a great big fat person? Whatever the case, we happily accept your most sadistic or altruistic dares. Every Tuesday, we release a full-length episode of Cinematic Stunt Work. And every Thursday, an action-packed mini-episode featuring previews, general movie discussion, and your movie dares, plus beer. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, our website, daredaniel.com, and anywhere fine podcasts are burnished and proffered. And make sure to check out our sister pods, Serious Talk Seriously and Graphic Novel Explorers Club, for more quality Sacramento podcasts. Hi, everybody. This is Nick from the St. Paul Filmcast, and I want to talk to you about a great place here in the Twin Cities for your next social gathering event. It's the Serbian Hall in South St. Paul. The Serbian Hall in South St. Paul is now open. Built in 1924, it is a unique historic venue perfect to host your next wedding, social gathering, corporate event, or any kind of celebration. The hall has over 9,000 square feet of historic charm perfect for your event. With a ballroom upstairs and a classic bar and reception downstairs, it has the flexibility to meet all your needs. From start to finish, to help you coordinate with every detail. Book now for 2021 graduations. Spaces are filling up fast. Visit their website, www.serbianhall.com. You can also find them on Facebook. They just can't wait to work with you. Your next social gathering event, think the Serbian Hall in South St. Paul. We're back with Madeline, and we're going to talk about, all right, we have to have an antagonist or bad guys. So when you write, do you have, and H.H. Holmes is a good one, mm-hmm. but do you always think about an antagonist first before you write, or how you how is your process to do, or you even have one at all? Sometimes you don't really have one at all. I feel like I don't think I usually, I mean, besides that one, I don't usually write with 
the antagonists like fully developed yet. Like I yeah. come up with like the main characters like develop, try to do that, and then kind of what is their obstacle? Okay, it's a person. Why? What's the person doing to them? And like what benefits that person? You know, what's their conflict? Right? Are they yeah. fighting themselves? Fighting the nature? Fighting the world? Right? Yeah. I remember my writing class. So it was always like, what's the conflict? Mm-hmm. And I always like I would use that for my notes too. What's the conflict and what's the contrast? Everybody has some kind of contrast to their character. Mm-hmm. Rather, uh, somebody like um, well, Nicholas Cage in Matchstick Men, which is a con artist. He's a criminal, but he had certain ethnics. Like you couldn't swear. He didn't like vulgarity for some mm-hmm. reason, and yeah. he liked people dress up proper. Well, that's a contrast to you're a criminal, but mm-hmm. you have these uh, these rules for yourself and the world that you know. Yeah. That. You don't, even if you disobey, you're not going to get arrested for, but your whole job, if you get caught, you'll be arrested for, but yes. So conflicts, right. Yeah. Antagonists. So do you like writing antagonists? I do. I think like one of my other ones is kind of like, I also have this one copyrighted. So if I say stuff, it's okay. Okay. But, um, I have like this girl goes to this boarding school on an island and the bad person is the dean of a school but like he makes all the rules and is like perfect but not actually so it's one of the things i put in my notes too that they and that you can tell who the antagonist is because they think they're their hero of the story in their own mind yeah they think they're actually what they're doing no matter how cruel it is it's for a good mm-hmm. like thanos thinks he's the hero why are yeah. you fighting me on this yeah yeah so I think if you can understand, especially right, villainy or antagonists, they're not bad all the time. And sometimes they think they are the absolute hero mm. in the story. Yeah. Or like they've discovered a scientific miracle and they're so excited, even though it's like not super great, you know, like Jurassic Park or something. Right. You know. So. Yeah. Who's the bad guy in there? Well, the guy who ran the park. Yeah. So, but he's like, this is for everybody. It's going to help everybody. But then, no, he killed people. So, um, with antagonists and villains, it's dialogue is stuff, right? Because you have to make it almost charismatic. That's another feature usually with villains. They have to mostly have to be the most charismatic person in the film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely, um, I don't know, the big monologues I leave for, like, the villain. <laughs> because they don't really talk about what they do until they finally get to. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then they just talk and talk. And then... Or, they don't shut up, right? Yeah. Or, like, they have, like, their prim and proper, like, vocabulary. Like, a rich, like, old guy, like, kind of dialogue. Yeah, like know. Professor Moriarty or yeah. something like that, yeah. Well, that's just one of the things I like about Batman because... The dial, the, the people that don't shut up, and the people who are bright and color and wild are the villains. They yeah. just can't stop. They can't shut up. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, Batman's not—he's an introvert. Yeah. <laughs> but he always has the great entrance. So he's going through the window, or he just comes beyond. You don't really know he's there, and all of a sudden, he's up upon. He always has the good entrance, mm-hmm. but the Joker always has the best lines. Yeah, which I think is sometimes the best to watch. Most fun to watch. I don't know how do you how do you go about doing an antagonist because it's hard. I don't think when you're a bad guy, it's hard to do get in that world. Like you really want to like massacre somebody or. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
I don't know. It's research, I think. At least that's what I did with, like, H.H. Holmes, trying to figure out what made him tick. Or, like, even just, like, newspaper articles, like, what he would say, and, like, quotes and stuff. Like, yeah, I don't know. I always have a core theory that all horror is central on feminism. You have to think of it as that is the vessel that drives the entire theme. His horror movies are always about certain femininity. And I think that's probably why a lot of women would probably enjoy doing like horror movies. I'm working on a horror movie right now that's exclusively all female. Mm. And I think that's the actually the, I think, yeah, you go to a Crypticon or a horror convention. I think it's actually 60-40 more women appreciate horror than men do. I've heard that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I just have to get familiar with, you know, a lot more female horror writers. I know they're out there. Mm-hmm. I have one good friend. Um, I won't say her name, but she exclusively works in horror. And she said somebody in Hollywood, she was auditioning in Hollywood, and somebody's like, well, these are all movies I did. Oh, you only done horror? Yeah. Well, it'll get better for you. And she's like, no, this is what I like to do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not using it as a stepladder. Some people think that I'm going to, but I like staying in this world. <laughs> cool. Yeah. So... Can we bring it up? You do have a twin. Mm-hmm. Does she part of the writing process too? Do you, does she help out? No. She, um, at least I live with my parents right now, as of right now, and she is up at the university. Okay. So she's living with a couple roommates. You know, what's fascinating thing is like um, author Philip K. Dick. Are you familiar with him? Mm-mm. He, um, he read like sci-fi. A lot of his books turn into movies like Total Recall, Blade Runner. Um, imposter and a lot of his sci-fi have to do with authentic identity like what is your real self you know or are you an android or something like that and he questions identity throughout the whole thing and the reason is because um, at birth he lost his twin he was gonna have a a sister Jane and uh, which that's funny her name was Jane Dick I don't know (laughs) but she never she didn't survive so he's always thought half of them would never really came into the world. So he's always worried about the authentic, what is reality and what wow. is real? How do I know what my real self is? And it stayed with him. But the thing is, he was a meticulous habitual writer mm-hmm. for how wild he is. Mm-hmm. And with his writing, he had set a schedule and he would stick to it. And he written many, many different books. So he just wasn't alive before he got famous. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So you, you're not going to do novelas? Uh, novels. Novels, right? Yeah. Or novelas? Or... Yeah, yeah. Well, I started writing one. Um, I got maybe 20 pages in and then kind of started on something else. Well, that's... <laughs> <laughs> I, know a lot, I know some other writers I can't mention, but they're not going to write novels because she's like, I don't want to spend time describing trees. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot more description. That is yeah. for sure. Yeah. So. Or leave the concept art for somebody else to do. I just like to punch it out and see what happens. Yeah, I like a, I think a really cool idea, and um, I have like a on my phone like make movies type of like note. Like if I get ideas, write them there. Yeah. yeah. So I had that on there, but then I was like, this would be like a good book because it's, I don't know. I feel like I need so much detail. And this, so it'd be better there. And so I started writing it, and I got really excited about it. And then I started working on the H.H. Um, H. Holmes one with my okay. friend. So I kind of just stopped that. I'll probably 
hopefully continue it at some point. So, so do you, do you give your works to an editor or do you, can you edit yourself? Um, well, I edit it first, um, kind of seeing how good it is. And then me and my family, like my mom, dad, sister, brother, like we do a read through of my script. <laughs> really? Yeah. That's cool. And so right. I do that. And then if the dialogue doesn't work when we're reading it out loud, then I'll like fix some stuff. And, or if they have any ideas after we read it, then I'll do that. So it's been fun to do that. Now, when you do writings, do you kind of like, sh- I mean, Stephen King emphasizes this, that you don't read any other material, watch other movies when you're in the process, but do you, can you follow that kind of guidelines or can you watch other movies and just continue your journey? I feel like I watch other movies and then I get ideas. Yeah. So I'm writing kind of a more action one. And so I watch the movie Speed. And that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. That's a good and one. then I got an idea for it. So I was like really excited about it. <laughs> so I remember as a kid when Speed came out because that was before Keanu was regarded as an action hero mm-hmm. and he's going to be the action hero in this movie because he usually did like Bill and Ted right and that's what we know him for mm-hmm. wild ridiculous and then we see him in action heroes like wow he really pulled it off but who's that one that cute girl who's that girl in that movie that driving the bus we didn't we didn't know who Sandra Bullock was either mm-hmm. yeah but that was that was fun to watch in the movie theater mm-hmm. yeah it was a great decapitation scene in it yeah. <laughs> 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 Can you watch gory movies? Can you yeah, watch? Yeah, to a point. Yeah. To a point. Yeah, I watched the movie recently, um, Free State of Jones. Oh my gosh! With Matthew McConaughey, and like the whole beginning is like these Confederate soldiers in like um, the hospital, and their like limbs are off, like they're everything yeah. is like all bloody and gross, and I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> but then yeah so you, you have a certain barometer set yeah i yeah. feel like it's just like if it's coming at you like from all sides that's a little much but if it's just like i don't know fast yeah. and then you see it then it's okay my one of my the actresses previous on um sally ann hunt she's a she's she was on previous on but she's like she actually, i like making horror movies i don't like watching them <laughs> They're a lot of fun making. Yeah. She's like, just don't want to watch them. Yeah. So d- are you comfortable with the writings of sharing with other people other than just your family? Yeah. Um, I actually have a producer friend that um, I've been able to network with, and he is was willing to read some of my stuff. So he's got given me some feedback, which is good. Do you have a particular s- style with your process? You kind of like narrow down a style or you just like to write? I think I just like to write. And then eventually it's going to come? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like to write scripts. Yeah. So I know that style. I know like yeah. the format. So yeah. It's... Well, eventually it's going to come, right? Yeah. You do enough and enough scripts, eventually you're going to have some kind of a style that's going to emerge. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We ever want to do comedy? Because that's... That's kind of the tough one, isn't it? Yeah, um, I've actually written one like back in the summer. I read, I wrote like a feature length like romantic comedy, but then I haven't showed it to anybody <laughs> because I feel like I'm not funny enough. So, but I mean, I think it is kind of funny when I read it back, but like I haven't showed anybody yet. 
I remember when I was in college, so this is late nineties, I had to write a you had to write like a two page for film mm-hmm. writing workshop, whatever, and I wrote a script about this serial killer, but she, uh, the person had something stuck in their teeth, like a piece of, and it was bothering the crap out of them as they're committing <laughs> these atrocity murders. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, uh, like it was like a piece of food that was just, and then he, like, floss, it didn't work, and it's just stuck in there, and he's continually the process of killing, and then eventually the person died, and it's supposed to get him that gratification of enjoyment mm-hmm. of killing that usually killers want to strive for. Yeah. But the really adaptation is eventually the thing just falls off the mouth, out of his tooth, and he's like, oh. Oh, that feels so much better. <laughs> <laughs> and this disregards the person that he murdered because that was he's he's chasing for some kind of you know what he always chased when they're murdering is and then that didn't do it that the thing was actually coming out of it. So he didn't need a murder; he just needed to get the thing out of his tooth. That's funny. <laughs> I have it somewhere. It's on a zip drive. I don't know. I can find it. That's how old it is. It's on a zip. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> that's an, I have a lot of stuff stored on floppy disks too that oh. <laughs> so yeah I don't Never know floppy disks. there you go I hand it off you can finish it off there's a good idea or anybody listening you could finish a serial killer they got something stuck in their tooth and you can't get it out <laughs> that's a good idea <laughs> <laughs> well I think it's tough to write because comedy's tough because you could write something you think is funny mm. but then share it with somebody and they're like I don't know is that yeah I think yeah. comedy's tough. Yeah. But everything has a little bit of comedy in it. I think so. I mean, I think everything I write, I have like, you know, some of the dialogue is witty or like funny at some points or. Yeah. Yeah. But like having like the whole movie be kind of hilarious. Drab. Yeah. It's hard. <laughs> I can only think of one movie out of my mind that doesn't really have comedy at all. And that's Prayer Before Dawn, which is a, a American that was involved in i think he was in jail in thailand which is a brutal mm. it's a whole duration of being in jail or prison prayer before dawn wow. there's not a single funny thing about that movie but i think any movie i watch has some kind of comedy empire strikes back is a funny movie it's funny <laughs> you know yeah i do yeah i mean i feel like you have to have some sort of like comedic relief yeah and like some things i mean obviously not everything can have that Cause then it would just wouldn't fit for like what's going on, but like I feel like otherwise you're stopping the whole movie or whatever. Yeah, you know, yeah. Tear jerkers, right? Mm-hmm. So when where is your rom com? Where is it? Yeah, have you done one? Yeah, I mean I have done it. I okay. just haven't shown it to anybody yet. If there's somebody running at the airport. That's my favorite cliche in a rom com. No. Oh. <laughs> You have to be running at the airport. No, it's ends at a wedding though. That's my other. Well, that's not really a cliche. Yeah. Well. Do you have a, you, know, you have favorite cliches? I can't think anything off of, at the top of my head. I can't. I do have one. I don't know if you thought about it. I do have one action favorite cliche is when the person's on the ground on their back and somebody's on top of them punching them, but they find something just on their reach, oh, like yeah. a rock, and hit them on the head unconscious. How many times has that been in a movie? <laughs> yeah, that is true. How many times is like all of a sudden there's something in within his reach that he can, and that that person on top is not paying attention? Mm-hmm. Or like in a horror movie or a thriller where they're like kidnapped or something and then they're about to kill them and then they're like, hear something off in the distance. Oh, I have to check that out now. <laughs> <laughs> and then it gives the person the free reign to escape. Which... Yeah. 
Oh, they always go upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> go upstairs, right? Yeah. My my other second my other favorite cliche is the coroner always has to be eating. Huh. What? <laughs> They're always eating. I don't think I've ever Usually when there's a dead body on a slab and the coroner comes in, he's eating an apple, you know, or pizza, whatever. And it's like a it's a cliche to show that the it's that it's not a shock to them to see a dead body that they could just be casual about it. But there's always somebody has a right that the coroner's always eating. Yeah. Maybe they think that it's a new thing. Or to not. be real cool, you have to eat an apple. Mm, yeah. It's apple eating. Yeah. You have to be really cool about apple eating. Yeah. Stuff like that. It's crunchy. People know that you're eating. <laughs> <laughs> well, right. Because I think people forget that pe- uh, characters have to eat. I don't think I've ever really written anything where people were eating either. either. Yeah. I think, yeah, I read where one of my scripts has them eating. And then my other script with H.H. H. Holmes, I have her like her stomach growls. <laughs> so she knows that she needs food, but she can't get it. So <laughs> that's kind of like a very subplot. So Right. Yeah. Would you be, um, ever be, especially with the rom-coms and stuff like that, are you comfortable? Are you aware of cliches? Because we just brought it up. Are you kind of like aware, like, man, that's that's been in there too many times before? I think, yeah, with like sad things when it's raining. You oh, know? God, that's another. I love funerals when it's raining. I love that cliche. Yeah. Or like when you break up with somebody and then you're it's sad and raining. I feel like that's cliche. You should be sad and it's sunny. Out. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. Well, one of the things I was upset with queen's gamut is when she's having her break and then she just doesn't get up in the morning and her hair is all fixed and then she's just drinking and smoking and in mm-hmm. her underpants is like that's not a girl depressed that's a girl having a good time yeah. a girl that's going to be upset will be in her pjs probably eating ice cream or something mm-hmm. you know not sitting there smoking cigarettes and drinking beer in her undergarments no that's a girl having a good time yeah, <laughs> that's too much of a cliche of, oh my life. No girl's gonna do that. A girl's gonna have sweets or Oreos or bake cookies or make biscuits. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like when they're sleeping and they're like perfectly makeup. I love that. All right. So. <laughs> <laughs> or when they give birth and they're just fine. Yeah, their all hair is all coiffed and. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not realistic. <laughs> So do you have a particular movie that you like? Is there an automatic for you, like even since you're a kid or new, or is there a movie that's on your radar right now that you really enjoy? Um, I really like the movie Arrival. Oh, the one with Amy Adams. Mm-hmm. And Jamie yeah. Renner. When I saw that in theaters, I watched it with my brother, and he was not impressed. He thought it was super boring. But like the whole movie, I was just like, oh my gosh. There's a little bit is- of mystery involved. Yeah, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is like, the greatest it's like a linguist who has to speak to these non-speaking aliens i don't know i thought it was super cool and just like the dialogue and whatever they were doing was just so intricate and like beautiful even though it was like an alien movie it was like a beautiful film i don't know i do agree with you that it is well written Mm -hmm. and translate well to writings and it's like writing but communication not say that's not lingual like linear right Mm -hmm. sometimes we communicate you know it's not about that it's like or direct Mm -hmm. and sometimes we have to circumnavigate 
I like, and that's the whole point of why they do a circle and everything. Mm -hmm. So I think writing wise, I just don't think it translates very well into a film, but I understand the, I love the writing of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And sometimes I, I can enjoy like, this is a really good script. It's just somehow not on the screen. Does it really pop out to me? Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's probably why my brother thought it was super boring, but like, <laughs> I thought it was really good. Well, I think we're we're so, as people have watched movies, we want to be impressed right away. We don't really have patience. Like, get the car chase scene. Get it, yeah. blows up, blow up right now. Or some action. Get it out right now. And I think we're so used to that. Mm -hmm. That if we don't have any of that, we don't have a car chase scene. We don't have everything. It's like, well, there's nothing in it. Mm -hmm. well, we're paying attention. But I think, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Tchaikovsky used to do that, intentionally make his films boring the first 10 minutes so people would leave. And the people that really wanted to see, there's something for you to enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he intentionally made his movies very boring for the, even the first, I was 10 minutes is even a little conservative. It, probably for the first 30 minutes, mm -hmm. you wait your patience. Because, you know, if you didn't have the patience for it, you leave. Well, fine. Then you're not going to critique my movie and give it a bad. <laughs> True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, any, do you watch the classics? Um, to find classics. Well, older than you. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like my like favorite comedy is Some Like It Hot. Oh my gosh, really? Mm -hmm. We had Arden here, and she, that was her favorite movie too. Yeah. That's that's another well written script. Mm -hmm. And I think I've watched White Chicks recently, and it kind of follows that same formula. Formula. Where it's yeah. like, you like, sung like it hot, and you're like, oh yeah, this is a gangster film. I forgot. Right. Mm, yeah. So, and then he falls in love with the girl that's there, and then he pretends to be a woman. It's just has a little race into it. I don't know if you, they're that, the whole beach scene where he pretends that's his boat, Tony Curtis. Mm -hmm. That's my yacht. I want to watch it. But he's making fun of his best friend, which is Cary Grant. So he's doing a impersonation of Cary Grant, the actor. Oh. <laughs> I didn't know that. So he's making fun of his one of his good friends, Cary Grant, and he's impersonating you know the whole act. You're blocking my view, you know. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, and I like that it plays on the whole male gaze, but actually they're trying to figure out how she does that walking on high heels so good. Mm -hmm. Which usually that's a cliche of the male gaze of watching women walk, you know. But they're trying to like, how does she do that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like they have a little motor running, and yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you, well, you have like a core of comedies or is that the, for classics? Um, I really like Bill Murray movies. Really? Mm -hmm. My favorite one is either What About Bob, but I think it was one before that. I mean, bef before it came out. Yeah. Um, that's high, that's high anxiety comedy. Yeah, that's a good one. There's no, there's no chill in it at all. Mm-mm. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> or the, um, uh, what is it called? The Man Who Knew Too Little. Yeah, that's kind of a sleeper like, one, isn't it? I don't think yeah. very many people know about it. That is like, I literally laughed like the entire movie. It's hilarious. What we call, what we call that, uh, we call that dramatic irony where the audience, we all know what's going on, but the person, the character in the story doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a, how to make dramatic irony funny. Yeah. Yeah, they almost did it with like Jim Carrey with the with using the Truman Show. Yeah. we all know what's going on, but he doesn't. Yeah. yeah, that was more like drama, not comedy. No, that's kind of yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that's like I love those movies. Bill Murray does that perfectly. Of, 
I'm not aware or I just don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's perfectly with that scene in What About Bob where he he, he gives um, Richard Dreyfuss' wife these flowers that are like dead and gross. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice gesture, but we don't know if he just doesn't care or he's just not aware. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he's a master at it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you like, so there's certain sci-fis you like? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think. We could hit pause if you want. Well, I like Jurassic Park. Oh, yeah. We brought that up. Yeah. Those are good. And um, I don't know. I like Hunger Games or Maze Runner. Like Did you read movie. those books? Yes. So the books were amazing. Loved the Hunger Games. And then the movies, I felt like a proud like parent because they were so well done <laughs> with like the books compared to it. It was great. They took a lot of care, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Because Suzanne Collins, who wrote the books, was also like head of like the script, right? Like the script. Yeah. Yeah. So Maze Runner, I like the books. The mo- The first movie was great. The second and third one, I feel like didn't really go with the books, which I was kind of disappointed with. Well, it's kind of, you know, what about Diversion? Yeah, the first one was good. The third, the second and third one, the third one was like changed completely the ending even. Third one's always tough, isn't it? Yeah. The trilogy, the third one, they always. Because if you usually write a trilogy, the third one should go back to the first one. Mm-hmm. I think if you want to write a good trilogy, the first one is, you know, world building mm-hmm. and then a little bit of a carrot at the end. Mm-hmm. The second one is the protagonist gets the punch in the nose. Mm-hmm. And then the third one, we go back to the tracings, the roots of what the first one did. Yeah. So, and the third one's always try to maintain interest because we already got the world building. Mm-hmm. You know, we already established them. We already got the punch and nose. So how are we going to resolve this? It should have some kind of a happy ending at the end. Yeah. yeah. So expectations kind of like already are set when the third one starts. Yeah. Another sci-fi film that I watched recently for like the first time was Eagle Eye with Shia LaBeouf. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was so good. <laughs> I was like super impressed. Don't you like that when movies are like, I, I don't know. And then you watch them like, this is actually good. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like not really knowing what to expect. I knew it was pretty good from like reviews and stuff. But like I was so impressed. I do have a hesitation when people, a lot of people say something is good. I have a hesitation to watch it mm-hmm. or I want to delay because if somebody, if like 10 people come up to me and say, oh, you really like this movie, it's hard because then I want to want to find fault with it. Mm-hmm. That's my reflex. I just, okay, what's wrong with it? Everybody likes this. What's wrong with this? Yeah. But if everybody hates a movie, I'm like, all right, why does everybody hate? Then I want to want to find something good about it. Mm-hmm. So that's an intentional also, also for me to kind of like flush out whatever Mm-hmm. Nomers people have brought into it. Then I want to watch it just clean and see what happens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, don't, I know a lot of people don't only watch trailers because they don't want to know anything about it before they watch a movie. Mm. So I've kind of, especially with 2021, I used to watch trailers all the time and I don't really gone back to it. I like, kind of like that idea. Just watch a movie without anything involved. Yeah. I feel like trailers give so much out now. Yeah. And then, like, kind of, like, ruin it. Right, yeah. You know? That's like a lot of people... Well, Kyle doesn't watch trailers, but he reviews movies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think that's the problem. is too much, right? Trailer doesn't mean need to be over a minute. 
mm-hmm. give us something. Yeah. Except, so my, um, since I live with my parents, we watch like a movie like Friday night because my dad doesn't watch a lot of films. And so he like usually picks it out or at least for the past like couple weeks. Yeah. And he told me he really wanted to watch this one movie was, like <laughs> in the 1970s. And his description was there's a watermelon farmer and he gets in a brawl like in a fight. That's like all he said. And I was like, that doesn't really sound that exciting, Dad, a watermelon (laughs) farmer. And then, I forget the movie. It's like 1970s something. The movie's on YouTube. I don't know. The guy, he has like Justin Bieber hair. (laughs) Right, all right. I forget what it was. But it was actually a good movie. Like, we watched it and the trailer was okay, but then we actually watched it and it was like really good. Yeah. So, I don't know. It depends. Just, I think a lot we both share that trailers is just too much, and I think you might have an appreciation mm-hmm. if you just kind of just watch the movie from scratch, don't really know much about it, and continue on. Yeah. Um, the last time I did that was watching Sound of Metal, which got nominated. A lot of you know, the Oscars are tonight. I did enjoy. It. I never watched the trailer, and I did enjoy the movie. And I think it's one of the best edited movies as well. So mm. it's not just. I think it's technically sound phenomenal movie and. Uh, Riz Ahmed is a perf- wonderful performance in it, mm. so I think it. You know, a lot of not and a lot of not a, not a lot of people have told me about it. I think mm. I appreciate it a little bit more now. It's like I could tell it's everybody. You know, this movie, this is a great movie. Mm. Plus, I used to be a drummer in a band, so it fits well. Yeah. So, if you, is it a new one? Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I guess I haven't even heard of it. Sound of Metal. Okay. And it's about a these hard. A heavy metal drummer, mm. but he's losing his hearing. Oh. So it looks like your career's over. Mm-hmm. And he's going to have to battle and confront that your lifestyle that you're so adapted to and you love, mm-hmm. it's going away. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a struggle, right? I think all stories, you're looking for your authentic self or a character is looking for their authentic self. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of the, I think, Sound of Metal fits perfectly as somebody trying to look for their authentic self after something that you're really good at. Mm-hmm. Well, what are you going to do now? Mm-hmm. You know, are they taking away something that you're so used to or something that you love that you can't do it anymore? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, if you th- if you think at a core, all stories, I think, are what, who, the character is looking for their authentic self, mm-hmm. like Luke Skywalker. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Madeline, thanks for coming. Thank you. Did you enjoy I did. I think I, I'm like love to talk writing with people. I think mm-hmm. it's a it's a tough process, and the more writers get together, mm-hmm. I think you make me want to after we're done recording go back to writing again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So well, Madeline knows. Um, thanks for coming again. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and it's not over till the guests say it's over. It's over. There we go. Hey. Stop.